Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Educator Essentials, the podcast where we talk with our members about pearls and strategies to aid faculty, preceptors, and those involved in the education of the pharmacy workforce. My name is Marie Tuzan Burns, and I am the chair of the ASHP section of Pharmacy Educators, Dean of the University of Tennessee Health Science Center College of Pharmacy, and Distinguished Professor in the Colleges of Pharmacy and Medicine. And I will serve as host for this podcast. Today, we will be chatting with Dr. Rebecca Leon, ambulatory care pharmacist and assistant clinical professor at the University of California, San Francisco, about social determinants of health. We will address the significance of social determinants of health in patient care, as well as the importance of introducing these principles early in pharmacy education. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rebecca. Um, I'm happy to be here, Marie, and I'm excited to speak on this important topic. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, Rebecca is a clinical pharmacist for UCSF's School of Pharmacy and the Office of Population Health Clinical Programs. Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about what your roles are and what your responsibilities entail? Sure. Uh, My primary role includes providing and developing clinical services for the department's innovative pharmacy programs and also for a variety of community pharmacy practice initiatives and precepting pharmacy students and residents. My areas of focus for clinical services include comprehensive disease state management, transitions of care management, and medication access assistance. I'm also passionate about social justice and collaborating across professions to find innovative ways to bridge the gap in health inequities. My research interests include social determinants of health, interprofessional collaborations, innovative pharmacy services, and I also teach and precept students. Well, Rebecca, we share a lot in common. And although you wear many hats, today I would love to focus on your research and practice interests related to health inequities. You mentioned social determinants of health. Can you help define that for our audience, as well as describe some of your work and research in this area? Sure, I'd love to. Um, Well, according to the World Health Organization, social determinants of health are the non-medical factors that influence health outcomes. They are the conditions in which people are born, grow, work, live, and age, and the wider set of forces and systems that shape the conditions of daily life. Research shows that the social determinants of health can be more important than healthcare or lifestyle choices in influencing health. For example, numerous studies suggest that social determinants of health account for between 30 to 55% of health outcomes. During the pandemic, I saw how COVID disproportionately affected people who were low income and people of color. They could not shelter in place. They lost their jobs and they struggled to feed their families. They also didn't have access to the internet and they had limited or no access to healthcare services. I'm very thankful that when the COVID vaccines came out, that I was able to volunteer at UCSF and for the Fresno County Department of Public Health 
to administer COVID vaccines to my community and be part of the effort to increase health access to vulnerable populations. Prior to joining UCSF, I was an ambulatory care pharmacist at two clinical practice sites in Fresno, California. For listeners who are not familiar with California, Fresno is located in the Central Valley, which is the poorest part of the state. So in practice site number one, I share an office with a social worker, and that was really eye-opening. And then in practice site number two, it was a federally qualified health center. I worked with patients who were mostly low income, who didn't speak English, who didn't read well, and who struggled with food and housing insecurities. Even though Fresno is one of the top agricultural producers in the world, it is also the second most food insecure city in the United States, with more than 24% of residents unable to put food on the table consistently. It was truly heartbreaking. While I was in Fresno, my research focused on addressing food insecurity among pharmacy students and expanding pharmacy services to increase healthcare access for underserved, underserved patients. At UCSF, my work has centered on collaborating with other health professionals to increase awareness and training about social determinants of health, health literacy, and cultural competency. Last year, I actually partnered with one of my colleagues, a clinical social worker, to develop an educational program for ASHP titled Expanding Our Reach, Responding to the Social Needs of Diverse Populations. Wow. Your practice expertise is robust in ambulatory care and community practice, which places you so close to the patient, as you noted. Now, in your experience as a clinician, and from a very practical standpoint, what impact have you seen of the social determinants of health having on your patients? And what things have you done to remediate those challenges? Well, and as an, agro- as an agricultural core of California, Fresno is a destination for many immigrant laborers. This includes a large share of undocumented workers. Uh, For example, 37% of Latinx immigrant adults in Fresno are without documentation, which makes them more vulnerable to lower wages, labor abuses, and other social instability. Uh, According to Hugo Morales, director of Radio uh, Bilingue, one of five children in Fresno County has one or two undocumented parents. There's also a large Hmong refugee population in Fresno area. And as someone for whom English is my second language and as a child of immigrants and a grandchild of refugees, I can relate to some of these struggles that my patients face. Uh, Many of my patients are food insecure and they come from low income households and they live paycheck to paycheck. As a result, they don't have enough money to purchase nutritious foods. Instead, many food insecure families tend to eat the cheapest food they can find, largely high in calorie and low in nutrition. This kind of diet tends to lead to diabetes and obesity. In Fresno County, more than 63% of adults and one third of children are obese. A 2016 study by the UCLA Center for Health Policy Research estimated that the pre-diabetes rate in the Central Valley is at 47% and as high as 68% among those age 55 to 69. In addition to the lack of financial means to purchase nutritious foods, a lack of access to the nutritious foods grown in the Central Valley is a huge issue. 
According to the USDA, Fresno County has 12 areas that are classified as food deserts. Food deserts are um, defined as urban neighborhoods and rural towns without ready access to fresh, healthy, and affordable food. In Southwest Fresno, there are plenty of liquor stores, but few supermarkets and grocery stores. And not everyone has a car, which means that combined with inadequate public transportation, that trying to follow your doctor's advice to quote unquote eat healthy can be really hard for someone who lives in a low income or rural neighborhood. Trying to live healthy and exercising can be difficult too if you live in an unsafe neighborhood. Other examples of social determinants of health, um, according to the World Health Organization, are income and social protection, education, unemployment, job insecurity, working life conditions, again, food insecurity, housing and basing um, amenities of the environment, early childhood development, social inclusion and non-discrimination, structural conflict, and then just access to affordable health services of decent quality. Um, as part of my own efforts to improve health access in Fresno, I developed, I partnered actually with two clinical sites and I developed a new pharmacist-led tele-ophthalmology service to provide diabetic retinal exams for underserved patients with diabetes. I also collaborated with the health sciences faculty at California State University Fresno to create an interprofessional collaborative for health professional students and local providers to address significant health issues such as the opioid and mental health crises in the Central Valley. In my current role at UCSF, I work with an interdisciplinary team that includes doctors, nurses, and social workers. Um, so I help patients with medication access issues and I connect them with social workers for other daily needs. I'm also part of work groups that address health disparities, such as diabetes, hypertension, and COVID vaccine in the African-American and Latinx populations. During my 15 plus years as a pharmacist, I found that it's really important to ask patients the right questions when you see them not refilling their medications, missing appointments, or their A1C, or their BP is not at goal. Pharmacists are one of the most accessible healthcare providers in the community, and they're usually the first point of care for many patients. Some questions that I've learned to ask over time are, what is your housing situation? Are you worried about your housing? Have you worried about running out of food in the last 12 months? Um, has a lack of transportation kept you from going to medical appointments? How often do you feel lonely or isolated? And uh, do you want help finding or keeping work? If patients answer yes to any of these questions, I usually try to connect them with a case manager, a social worker, or a community health worker. Your passion around correcting health inequity gaps and supporting patients holistically. As I listen to you uh, describe this, it's really a holistic approach that you're putting, putting in place and have, have actually uh, practiced with over the years. And this is very apparent in your work. So my next question, Rebecca, as I reflect upon your, your, your response to the last question, is can you share with us some of the personal experiences that led you to this interest? What drove you to further educate yourself on social determinants of health, study it, 
and also advocate for patients in this way? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so growing up, my grandmother told me stories about the danger, poverty, hunger, and stress she experienced when she was forced to flee China during the Civil War to seek safety in Vietnam. I also remember my own mother's harrowing tale of hiding from the communists, losing her childhood home, and being separated from her family, and escaping on a boat. So as a child of immigrants and a grandchild of refugees, I'm really deeply grateful for their bravery and their sacrifice. Their striking experiences inform my views about the global refugee crisis, the displaced people around the world threatened by violence and persecution, and the need for inclusive policies to help refugees and asylum seekers. Um, as a Chinese American, I also have experienced racism and anti-Asian hate, particularly during the pandemic. In fact, my own child was cyberbullied in his school last year because he was the only Chinese in his student body. So I think just some of these identities have given me insights into just some, I mean, not all of, of the um, experiences and social injustices and discrimination that are experienced by minority groups who have been treated inferiorly, such as women, people of color, immigrants and refugees. And also, since English is my second language, I'm also more aware about the need to make health information understandable and accessible in other languages. My commitment to um, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, I think is partially my way to honor my family's um, legacy. Um, I've been really fortunate that as a faculty member and a practicing clinician, I've had the opportunity to work alongside passionate, creative, and insightful individuals to address social injustices and take steps to create a more inclusive culture for my students, patients, and community. When I help students from underrepresented backgrounds, it feels like I'm helping like my father, my dad, my aunts and my uncles who immigrated to America for college. When I was a faculty member um, at California Health Sciences University College of Pharmacy, I spearheaded the efforts to set up a campus food pantry for students who struggle with food insecurity. And as a faculty advisor, I mentored pharmacy students whose parents are immigrants and for whom English is also not their first language. And then after a Fresno State student um, died from an opiate overdose, that's when I collaborated with the clinical faculty from other institutions to create the Interprofessional Coalition for Health Professional Students and Local Providers to address the opioid and mental health crises in Fresno County. And then of course, in my own neighborhood and community, I also petitioned for protections for undocumented students. Um, likewise, when I help patients who struggle with social determinants of health, it feels like I'm helping like my mom or my grandmother. I have volunteered at the San Francisco Rescue Mission, Project Homeless Connect, the Salvation Army, and other local food banks. And at church, I've participated in the Meals for Families Ministry. And when I was an ambulatory care pharmacist at Kaiser San Francisco, I worked with the health coaches there to develop culturally sensitive patient education materials in languages other than English. Um, and then again, when I was volunteering at UCSF and the Fresno, Department, uh, Fresno County Department of Public Health to administer COVID vaccinations, I advocated for the need for translators and for patient education materials to be translated into other languages. Rebecca, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, as I sit here and reflect on your response and all the things 
that you have experienced through uh, family members and even yourself and even through your son, it reminds me of how important it is for us to bring our personal experiences to our work or in our work and how it affects that. So just to give you a, a hint of some of the things that I've been working on over the years, for over 20 years now, I have provided medication access to transplant recipients. And on the education front, I advocated for education for all, regardless of social economic status. Growing up with modest resources has really shaped my views on helping others with their health care and in obtaining an education as a gateway to success. As an educator, I find that it is very important not only to engage clinicians to consider social determinants of health in their practice, but also to educate future generations to think in this way. You mentioned that you also teach and precept students in your practice. How are you bringing this issue to the forefront of student education? And what opportunities do you think exist in our experiential and didactic curriculum to educate learners on social determinants of health and combating health inequities? Well, as a faculty member and a preceptor, I try to create interprofessional learning experiences for students so they can see how we can partner with other health professionals or community organizations to address patients' social needs. Addressing the many social factors that influence healthcare outcomes can be very complicated, and it's not something that pharmacists can tackle on their own. When I was a preceptor in Fresno, pharmacy students at my clinic participated in interprofessional rounds and joined social workers during their patient home visits to identify social determinants of health. Pharmacy students who joined me in my clinic at UCSF also participate in interdisciplinary rounds and they help patients with medication access issues. Uh, this year, I'm also working with my department to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and to increase awareness and training about health literacy and providing culturally effective care. I think that in order to train highly competent professionals who understand and act on the social determinants of health in ways that advance communities and individuals toward greater health equity, um, students must be exposed to transformative learning activities that are integrated into the curriculum and that are interprofessional, longitudinally organized, and engaged with the community. It's partnership with communities and community organizations that that's an important element of transformative learning for addressing the social determinants of health. For example, my colleagues at UCSF, they partnered with African-American barbershops to create the CUT Hypertension Program, which specifically seeks to eliminate cardiovascular health disparities among African-American men. This community partnership has allowed for the creation of pharmacist-led blood pressure programs and opportunities for doctors and pharmacists to provide barber health coaching and barbershop-based education and screening events. Um, as outlined in the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medications publication titled A Framework for Educating Health Professionals to Address the Social Determinants of Health, um, they have some precepts there about how transformative learning um, can help students 
again, learn to, um, to address that. And so um, they mentioned that transformative learning, dynamic partnerships, and lifelong learning are the fundamental principles to better align different sectors in educating health professionals to address the social determinants of health in partnership with communities. They also mentioned that transformative learning are actions taken to produce enlightened change agents. This is a phrase I like to use a lot with my students. Um, who are innovative, adaptive, and responsive to the needs of the community. It also involves vital shifts that would move health professional education from a traditional biomedical-centric approach to an approach that can provide a greater understanding of and competencies in addressing complex health systems in an increasingly global and interconnected world. Um, last year, I led several educational programs about incorporating social determinants of health into active learning curricula for pharmacy students and residents. However, um, I personally believe that before educators and preceptors can teach students, that they themselves must learn about social determinants of health. Um, in case a listener's own pharmacy education and practice and experience has not or did not include social determinants of health, I recommend checking out the American Hospital Association's Social Determinants of Health Vertical Expedition Modules, which are videos about how to address food and housing insecurity and transportation barriers. Another good resource is the Action Learning Collaborative by the National Resource Center for Patient and Family-Centered Medical Home. These are educational webinars about social determinants of health screening, referral, and follow-up. Uh, to help students better understand patients' conditions and social and community contexts, I like to have them do this exercise that, um, that's called mapping. Uh, basically, they quote unquote map a patient's neighborhood. Um, and so I have them utilize like the AARP livability index so that they can understand how neighborhoods and services and amenities in the community can impact a patient's quality of life. I also have them utilize um, the Opportunity Index, which provides data that shows what opportunity looks like in the United States. Um, and they utilize indicators with four dimensions of community well-being, such as economy, education, health, and community. Rebecca, it has been a great pleasure to chat with you today about social determinants of health. You have made me reflect on the numerous ways that pharmacists can get involved. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I wanna to thank our special guest, Dr. Rebecca Leon, for joining us to discuss social determinants of health and patient care and education. If you haven't before, I encourage you to check out ASHP's educator resources. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the preceptor toolkit, the research, Resource Center and exchange ideas with your peers on the ASHP Education Connect community. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Educator Essentials. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you and take care. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.